you will please turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 11. As you're turning there, I want to make mention of just a couple of things. One is in a couple of weeks, we'll start a new sermon series on Philippians. And in the narthex out here, we have these new scripture journals. This one's on the book of Philippians. It'll be a great opportunity for you to pick one of these up and use it in uh, your personal uh, devotions and in preparing for the sermons and following along. These are a great new resource for you. And hopefully, another thing I want to mention here, too, uh, a family favorite movie at our home is Swiss Family Robinson, the old school Disney classic. And when the family was first shipwrecked there on the island, some of you are looking at me like, what is he about to say? As the family was shipwrecked there on the island, uh, I remember young little Francis said, I'm going to go dig some pits and see if I can catch a tiger or a lion or something. And the parents are like, well, okay, yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. Well, he catches a tiger. And so he, and once he catches that tiger, it's like, well, what are you going to do with it? Well, that's kind of what it feels like now. We have church property downtown. <laughs> We've got that tiger in the pit, and then what are we going to do with it? Well, we, let's pray. We need to pray. We're asking the Lord for wisdom and discernment on what's next. There's lots of decisions and lots of planning and lots and lots of prayer that needs to take place. And so we praise God for that provision. Uh, but I was reminded this summer as we were on a mission trip on the Yakima Indian Reservation, and one of the pastors said, we're here on the, the playground, uh, hearing children, sharing Bible stories with children, and the, the Lord is there. The Lord is with his people. He is where his word is preached. It's not in places or buildings, but we do thank God for his provision for that. Let's now go to the preaching of God's word in Psalm 11. This is uh, next to last in this summer sermon series in the first 12 Psalms. This is God's holy word to us this morning here from Psalm 11. To the choir master of David. In Yahweh I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. Yahweh tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your holy an errant word to us this morning. Father, as we read and, and apply your holy words to our lives, to our hearts, to our congregation, Lord, give us wisdom. Teach us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if I ever get a chance to preach this sermon series again, I'm going to rename it. And I'm going to rename it Practicing Good Theology. And the reason why I would do this is because over and over again as we 
read these psalms, as we study them and apply to our lives, they deal with life not as we think it ought to be, but life as it really is. Many of the psalms that we have studied deal with real-life situations. Uh, Many of them are written by King David, and we've observed how King David, a man who loved God, he was a sinner, yes, he messed up, but he loved God, he he wrestled with God, he sought to live a godly life, He, he wrestled with the problems of evil, he wrestled with suffering in his own life. And as we've seen him work through these different real-life situations, we have observed the biblical response that we are to have to pain, to suffering, to evil, to, again, real-life situations. And as we've gone on this journey now through the first 11 Psalms, hopefully you have discovered that to know God is to see that He is the one who sovereignly orchestrates his divine will. And understanding that and knowing that and seeing that God is in control, that he's sovereign in all things, is, a key, is key for us living a, a blessed life, a, a happy life, a, a righteous life, and really a sane life, knowing that God is in control. And Psalm 11 here is no different. What we discover here in Psalm 11 is more of that good theology, who God is and what he has done and what he's going to do. Psalm 11 is an extended meditation by David on Yahweh God's majesty and his power. And this is fitting following Psalm 10, which was kind of an extended meditation on the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But Psalm 11 is a great follow-up to this concern that David had about the way of the wicked, because here is showing that God is on his throne. He is in charge. He is sovereign. Dare we might say that wonderful and profound theological statement, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. Can any children help me remember the rest of that? There's nothing my Yay, man. Thank you. I heard a big, deep voice of a child over there. Um, Some of you are feeding your children some weird stuff. Uh, That totally messed me up. Where am I? (laughs) Okay, thank you. So what we need to do now is practice this good theology when it comes to life, when it comes to dealing with sin and temptation and suffering. And Psalm 11 will teach us that we need to meditate on God. We need to think more about God, who he is and what he has done. That's what it means to practice good theology. Think about God, meditate on him. And so Psalm 11 is going to give us seven truths that we need to know about God and meditate on about God in order to practice good theology in the Christian life. And so Let's look at these seven truths here from Psalm 11. The first is, Yahweh God is a refuge. And again, if you're joining us here, maybe for the first time, we're referring to the proper name of God when we read capital L-O-R-D in our Bibles. That is the name Yahweh, best we could say it. First, First truth, though, is Yahweh God is a refuge. Before David even begins to recount his troubles and his struggles here in Psalm 11, he reminds himself of this all-important truth 
that Yahweh his God, the covenant Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God is his refuge, his mighty God. And this is a great reminder to someone who's given really not so good counsel here in these first three verses of Psalm 11, if you'll look there. We don't know the exact situation or circumstance for which Psalm 11 was composed. Uh, We do know it dealt with some struggle or trouble in David's life. And then here we have the response of some of his friends or counselors to the situation that he was in. They said, basically, hey, David, some bad stuff is about to happen to you because of wicked people. You better hightail like a bird over to the mountains and hide because the arrow is on the string of the bow and you are in deep trouble. This is not necessarily sinful advice. If a war or some danger is coming my way, I'm going to go hide up there on Montesano, get into some rocks. I mean, fleeing to the mountains is not bad advice. But often we know that simply fleeing a tough situation is not always the right move. And to this counsel, David replies, Yahweh is my refuge, not a mountain. God is my fortress, not the hills. And then those doomsday theories and doomsday predictions follow from these counselors where they tell David, the foundations of your government is being destroyed. It's it's over for you, David. What are you going to do? That's a good question. It's a good question for me and you to ponder. When life seems like it's falling apart, when the world feels that it's coming down on you, when the foundations of your life, maybe your finances, maybe your job, maybe your family, when it feels like it's all being destroyed, what are you going to do? Where are you going to turn for refuge? The remainder of this psalm will give us some great wisdom to deal with these scenarios. And the wisdom of this psalm is not just try try harder. If you try harder, it'll all be better. That's not what the psalm is saying. It's not saying to hurry up, move all your retirement to Apple stock, and then it will be set. It's not to run to your mommy and daddy and ask them to fix all your problems. Practicing good theology in difficult situations, means to declare that God is your refuge. And nothing else can protect you or comfort you in times of trouble. I love the words of Charles Wesley in that great hymn, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. God is our refuge. None other will do. That's the first truth. Second truth, Yahweh God is in his holy temple and he is on his throne is what he meditates on there in verse 4. What can the righteous do? Where can the people of God run in times of trouble? Practicing good theology means not only that we find our refuge in God our Father, but we look to him as our king. He is in his temple. He is on his heavenly throne. 
And knowing God is your refuge and believing that he is an awesome God and that he reigns from heaven above is a great comfort to God's people. He is in his temple. This is not an earthly temple made by human hands. This is not even referring to Solomon's temple, the place of of worship. This was before that temple was built. This is the heavenly temple where Yahweh God dwells. This may have, must have been the, the, the temple that Isaiah 6 speaks about when he saw the Lord on his throne in his holy temple. It was a place of holiness and power, a place where Yahweh God sits on his throne and he rules and he reigns and he protects because he is the great king. And so how do we find comfort from this? Do you feel scared? Yahweh is on his throne. Does the world seem chaotic to you? Yahweh is on his throne. Do you feel like the bottom is falling out of your life? Yahweh is on his throne. Knowing that Yahweh God is on his throne is a great comfort to us. I mean, we say that over and over, right, to each other. Don't worry, God is on his throne, all is good. It's true. Knowing that Yahweh God is on his throne is a great comfort to us because a king only sits on his throne and rules and reigns when all is well. When he's in complete control and all the major battles have been won. That is our God. He is the king. He is on his throne. This is where David goes to meditate in times of trouble. What about you? The third truth there, verse 4 again, Yahweh God, he sees all things and knows all things. From his throne, there he sits and he governs as the great king where he knows all things and sees all things. And here God has kind of explained what's called anthropomorphic terms. In other words, he's given human-like qualities to describe his power and his authority. And that is that God sees all things because he has eyes that can see all things. He, he gazes upon the children of man. He sees all. He knows all. These are great truths for us. This is a wonderful truth for us to meditate on because we're not deists. A deist is someone who believes that, yes, God made the world but he just kind of set it in motion and he's uninvolved. He's asleep or something like that. But that's not what we believe as Christians. We believe that God is very involved in his creation. We believe the truths here in Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over on the evil and the good. So what comfort could anyone possibly have in life if there were not a holy God who sees and knows all things? There would be none because all the injustice done in secret All evil performed in the shadows. All sin would go unnoticed and we would be in utter despair. But take heart. God's gaze is on the earth and especially on those who know him by name. God knows all things and sees all things. The fourth truth about our God 
is that he tests the righteous. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. There's nothing that causes more anxiousness in the life of a student or anyone who knows that they have a test or an examination or a board coming up. We lose sleep. We don't eat right. We're very anxious and nervous. We don't like being tested. But here's a truth that we so often ignore and sometimes don't want to believe about the Christian life. And that is that Yahweh God, he tests the righteous. What this means is that God's sovereign providence, in his sovereign providence, he does allow your faith to be tested. Often, this testing can come by trials and sufferings. The ultimate example of this would be Job, whom God allowed to be tested to the To the extreme, he lost his family, he lost his home, he lost his livelihood. He was tested in a major way. But this psalm is by David, and he too went through testing and trials. Even as he recounts there this testing from even his friends questioning his faith in verses 1 through 3. So what would be his response to the testing that was before him? What would he do in response to these counselors telling him to run, to flee? The test for David is the same test it is for us. Will you trust in Yahweh God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing? Or will your life be guided by fear of man and fear of the unknown? This is why we can't believe the lies of of the world that tell us that God wants your life to be easy, he wants your life to be comfortable, he wants you to be rich, because that's not what real life is about. That's not what the scriptures teach. What the scriptures teach is that God wants you to be faithful, and oftentimes to help us grow in our faith, he tests those whom he loves. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God will test your faith through suffering and trials and temptations. Think about it. Testing is oftentimes what does produce great faith. If any of you are suffering right now, if any of you are going through a hard time in life and you decide, you know what, I'm going to go get a Christian book to help me on this topic of suffering You're not going to go to the bookshelf and and buy a book on suffering from someone who's never suffered, are you? You want someone who has suffered, who has gone through what you've gone through, who has wrestled with God in those times to help you grow in your own faith. And So when our times of testing come, may God use them to help us grow stronger. Fifth truth about God that we need to meditate on is that Yahweh God will judge the wicked with holy fire. Look there in verses 5 through 6. Here are some truths that we would frankly rather ignore and not talk about. And yet this is why verse by verse expositional preaching going through the Bible is important because it forces us to face these truths. And the truth that we're faced here with in these verses is that Yahweh God hates wickedness. He hates it. He hates those who love violence. 
we simply could say God hates sin. So much so that only this image that David seems to be alluding to here of that of Sodom and Gomorrah, where you may remember that God rained down holy fire and sulfur to destroy the city because it was so wicked. That is the the burning white hot passion of God's holiness and glory and his hatred against sin that only raining fire like what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah will serve as the best illustration. So we're faced with this reality. Do you believe that God hates sin and wickedness that much? We don't need to be lulled into sleep in our comprehension of evil and wickedness in this world because God will one day bring the refiner's fire to this world and wickedness will be consumed in his holy fire. And so Pastor Dale Ralph Davis says this, he says, you may need to revise your theological cliches about God hating the, sin, hating the, sinner, but, hating the sin but loving the sinner. Because the truth is, God hates sin. So he will rain down a raging retribution on it. So the truth of God's utter hatred against sin should hasten us on to the cross of Jesus Christ. To, To fly us to Jesus who died on the cross. Again, the death on the cross, another example of God's serious hatred against sin. There at the cross, though, he welcomes those who fly to him in their time of need. Sixth, God loves righteous deeds. We see that in verse 7. He loves righteous deeds. Yes, Yahweh hates sin, but he, he loves righteous sin. I'm sorry, he loves righteous deeds. Righteous deeds, yes. I'm glad that wasn't printed in the bulletin. Yahweh, God hates sin, but he loves righteousness. I'm glad to know you are listening. No, your good works do not save you. But yes, your good works are pleasing to God. He loves it. He is a proud father when his children bring him glory. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So your theological practice, your theological aim in life should be to love God and to love your neighbor. And what this often looks like is doing good works, righteous deeds that honor your God and Father. He loves righteous deeds. He loves it when children, you're kind to your siblings and loving them as your neighbor. He loves it when we honor our father and mother. He loves it when we take part in the mission and vision of his church to expand the gospel to the corners of the earth. Yahweh God loves righteous deeds. The last truth here is that Yahweh God is righteous. He not only loves righteousness, but he is righteous. He he hates sin, but God loves righteousness because he is righteous. He is perfectly holy, holy, holy. I love, again, 
Dr. Davis' explanation here. And this tells us that God is not a mere three-letter Hebrew word. The God of the Bible is not a formless blob of celestial protoplasm, not some sort of cosmic jello with a sickly smile. God has a nature. He is righteous. So he hates sin, but he loves those who practice righteousness. This is the truth. This is the good theology that we need to meditate on. This is why it's so important that we see that the God of the Bible is far different from just man-centered, sentimental, lowercase God that we often imagine or create. God is righteous, and he always does what is right. And so, in conclusion, this psalm, Psalm 11, is what we need to help us from keeping it, looking at the sinful world around us and even in the sinfulness in our own hearts and despairing. This psalm is what we need to keep us from looking at ourselves and thinking if we just believe in ourselves more, then we will have a better life. This psalm is what we need to help us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is in his holy temple and on his heavenly throne. This is the truth to anchor our souls. This is the reason, the reason we do this is because of the promise given to us in the last line of verse 7. Look at that. The upright shall behold his face. Think about that for a minute. This is the goal of all of life. This is what the scriptures tell us that our longing should be for. This is the longing of every saint, of every Christian who has ever lived, is living, or will live, to see God's face. This was the heart of Moses' desire when he asked God, I want to see your glory. I need to be strengthened in my faith so I can lead your people and do what you have called me. Lord, I want to see your glory, see your face. But God told him, no one can see my face, my glory, and live. God is too holy, holy, holy. You would be consumed, burned up in his holiness. But if God is your refuge, if Jesus is your Savior, the rock on which you find refuge, then you will see him face to face. This is one of the last promises given to us in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, no longer will there be anything accursed. You know what that means? No more sin, no more wickedness, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, they will see his face. So may our hearts and minds be fixed upon this truth of the God who is and who was and who is to come, what he has done so that one day we shall behold his face. Oh, happy day. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, we, we thank you for these amazing truths and this wonderful example here to us by King David that we need to fix our eyes on you. We need to think about you. We need to meditate on you, who you are and what you have done. Lord, help us to practice this good theology in our daily lives, our daily living, no matter what comes our way, suffering, stress, trouble, persecution, no matter what, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. Lord, we long to see him face to face. Thank you for this promise that one day we will. For it's in his name we pray, amen.